Greetings and welcome to the inaugural podcast of An Odyssey into Oratory. I'm your host, Dan Riley. Let me start somewhere in the middle, and at some point I'll get to the beginning. It was the mid-80s. I was managing a grocery store about 40 miles from my house, a time well before cell phones and the internet. And aside from silence, one had two choices while commuting to work. Listen to the radio or to audio cassettes, which of course were soon replaced by CDs. I chose the latter most of the time, and because I did, I was constantly getting advertisements in the mail for audio programs. I can still remember the postcard advertising an audio program by Earl Nightingale called Lead the Field. So intriguing was his advertisement that I purchased a product. I was so impressed, influenced, motivated by, call it what you will, with Lead the Field, I began purchasing everything Nightingale produced, which included his latest book at the time, Earl Nightingale's Greatest Discoveries. I was fascinated by a concept Earl explored in that book. He claimed that there are two types of people in this world, river people and gold people. River people were somehow born into this world with a river of interest they could never escape. Musicians, painters, writers, performers, gardeners, and I guess the list could go on and on, would be examples of river people. If these people ever tried moving away from their river of interest, invariably they were drawn back. As Abraham Maslow said, a musician must make music, an artist must paint, and a poet must write. On the other hand, gold people had an array of interests, but not one overpowering single interest like that of river people. These people tended to set goals in specific areas and once achieved, set another goal. All their life is a constant cycle of setting and achieving goals. At the time of being exposed to Earl's theory, I just assumed that I was a goal person. I would set goals and in most cases achieve them and then move on to the next one. And I continued that cycle for decades. But just recently, while rearranging books in my library, I had an aha moment. I had noticed scores of books that I had on public speaking on public speakers, the biographies of speakers, the biography of speech. And that aha moment was that by Earl's definition, I was indeed a river person. Irrespective of what jobs I had, hobbies I pursued, or sports I played, I never lost my fascination with the great speakers and great speeches, both in our time and historical times. The power of oratory is my river of interest. Now let me circle back to the beginning. For reasons I can't explain, other than maybe Earl's theory, I had memorized the Gettysburg Address and large swaths of both Kennedy and Martin Luther King's speeches by the time I was 13 years old. To this day, early in my seventh decade, I still listen to speeches almost as often as I do music while exercising. Yes, public speaking has been a river of interest winding its way through my entire life. I only became interested in national politics because as a young man, I loved to watch the political conventions. Not for the politics, but for the speeches. I can still hear Jesse Jackson thundering, stay out the bushes, or that's the sunny side of life. Or Ted Kennedy claiming that the dream shall never die. 
Since those early days, I have found politicians are not necessarily the best speakers, but as a class of speakers, they do have the highest profile and most exposure. I thought Ronald Reagan delivered a prepared speech as well as anyone. When I think about his speech to the nation after the shuttle disaster, it still moves me to this day. His closing line, they slipped the surly bonds of earth to touch the face of God. Wow. I found that speech so moving, I went to the library. Of course, there was no Wikipedia back then to see if I could find where he got that closing line. Turns out those two lines came from a 19 year old kid, an Air Force pilot who was killed in a Spitfire in World War II. John McGee, while stationed in Canada, wrote sonnets and sent them back home to his parents. And six months before he was killed, he wrote the sonnet High Flight, which included those two lines. The history of those lines made Reagan's speech all the more poignant. Reagan and other speeches often referred to America as a shining city upon a hill. Of course, that line was borrowed from one of the original pilgrims, John Winthrop, who used it to name a speech he had given describing the mystical experience he had about his vision for what America could be, a shining city upon a hill. Mario Cuomo, another great speaker, gave the keynote address on the final night of the Democratic Convention when Mondale was running against Reagan. Reagan at the time, well known for his line, a shining city upon a hill. Cuomo begins the close of his speech agreeing with Reagan that America is indeed a shining city upon a hill, but only for a sum. He goes on to say, there is another city. There are other parts to this shining city. He talked about the homeless, drug problems, poverty, starvation, crime, and despair. And his closing line was brilliant. No, Mr. President, this is a tale of two cities. There you have it. Two short, iconic phrases that told stories unto themselves. As my career progressed in the grocery industry, my interest in public speaking never waned. In fact, it intensified. As I assumed positions with greater responsibilities, public speaking became a larger part of my job. And because I was always trying to improve this wonderful craft, I participated in several speech training programs. I took the Dale Carnegie class four different times, was a graduate assistant two more times. I was a Toastmaster for a decade. I attended several executive speech programs. My library is chock full of books and audio programs on public speaking. Yes, I've been swimming in the river of public speaking my entire life. And like so many others, erroneously, I operated on the notion that I was exclusively a goal person. In this podcast series, you'll learn about what I call speech mechanics and how they serve to enhance speech content, along with the importance of recognizing the speech culture of the company or industry in which you speak, and how you can accentuate and modify aspects of your own speaking style to best connect with that audience. We will explore methods and exercises one can do to find their natural rhetorical devices, and of course, how to develop a speaker's mind. During the decades I was in the corporate world, I attended hundreds of presentations and speeches. I also delivered hundreds of presentations and speeches. Combining this experience with years of study and training, 
I have distilled and synthesized this body of work to create actionable strategies people can use to leverage the power of oratory in all or any aspects of their lives. To sum it up, this podcast is for anyone who believes they can benefit from a 45-year fascination with the art of public speaking. So whether you're a goal or a river person, I invite you to join me on this odyssey. By developing the magical skill of public speaking, the benefits you'll accrue will so far outweigh the efforts you extend, it will be mind-boggling. Well, for my part, that's all there is today. This is Dan Riley taking you on an odyssey into oratory. Until next time, throw off the bowlines. We're on the move now. 